0: Welcome to the Future of Life Institute podcast. My name is Gus Docker, and I'm here with Holly Elmore from Pause AI. Holly, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Just in a basic sense, what is Pause AI? Why should we pause AI?
1: So yeah, the most basic case for pausing AI is that we don't know what we're doing. So we're developing this technology that we can't control, and we need time to figure out how to control it. And we need to figure out how we know each development step is safe And I think also we may discover that it's just never going to be safe in advance. So we might end up putting our effort into never developing super intelligence. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the very most basic case for pausing AI.
0: Yeah, and I think we should mention that some of the CEOs of the top AGI corporations agree with with the point you just made that we are not sure yet how we are going to control AGI or super intelligence. Uh, They they probably disagree with, with you on whether we should pause, but there is some common ground around whether future advanced ai could be dangerous
1: i think this confuses the public a lot because you know for instance you hear these accusations of regulatory capture or clearly when people hear you know sam altman say it could be lights out for us all you know to do what he's doing they grasp for other explanations because it's it's very hard to understand that, like somebody could believe that about the risk and still want to do it. That's something that I try to communicate often that like they do really believe this. I mean, there's there's other things that are different. They have a higher appetite for risk. They might also have beliefs about what AI is going to bring that to them make it worth the risk. like you know, the singularity will happen and we'll all live in heaven. And so there's really infinite value we're comparing this high risk to. But most people, if they understood the model of risk here, would just say, no, like nothing makes that acceptable because of just very different worldviews from like tech CEOs. It's hard for them to appreciate that that is what they're saying.
0: I've heard about the idea of pausing for for a couple of years now, but for for, for a long time, it was considered basically a non-option among people interested in AI. It's not something you you can do and you can very easily come up with objections to why it would never work. Even though when you, when you just state the basic case, it sounds like an option that should at a minimum be on the table or be worth discussing.
1: If FLI had listened to what everybody was telling them in the community, they would never have published the six-month pause letter. And I think that would have been a huge mistake. It was just clear that they didn't know what they were talking about. Like the public was ready to hear it. Polls showed after that very soon that, you know, majority of Americans agreed on many questions like there should be regulation on AI. Uh, at that time, they weren't really asking about slowing down. But you know, questions even about the six month pause had mostly, I think, largely positive responses. Yeah. So
0: okay, we should talk about what you mean by pausing, because the, the case kind of stands or falls depending on what you mean by by pausing specifically. So, so how would you implement this? W- what type of pause are we talking about?
1: Pause AI's ask is for a global indefinite pause on frontier AI development. So not the six-month pause. <laughs> People do, are often confused. Yeah,
0: And this excludes work on AI safety. And this excludes, I guess, work on general work on hardware and software. And so it's limited to, to work on the frontier models of AI that, that take tens of millions of, of dollars to train, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars to train. And so it's, it's kind of limited in scope in that way.
1: Um, so that's like an example that we give. But actually, I a thing that's great about doing advocacy as opposed to, you know, AI safety research is that we can just say what we want. We don't have to. It's not on us to say like exactly what the policy should be. And so what you said is the example that we generally give of like how you would measure frontier AI, how you would measure development, how you would control development. But in principle, you know, we're open to to things that work just to end the advancing capabilities unfortunately it's it's hard to say what capabilities would portend doom you know if we knew that we'd kind of have the problem solved already so we want to express our goal in terms of the outcome we want we want to not have dangerous capabilities before you know we're able to mitigate their danger so yeah the one I'm sure we'll get into you know ways that you can do this but pause AI is in principle open to policies that that work to, to achieve this. And possibly to you know, hardware restrictions or algorithm restrictions, monitoring, stuff like that, to, to do it. Uh, so I wouldn't say we're committed to exempting other areas, but the, the goal here is not narrow AI that isn't presenting an X risk, isn't presenting like unmitigated societal upheaval risks.
0: So you wanna shift the burden of proof, I think, to the to the people developing AGI or super superintelligence to, to show that these systems are safe. And, and this is why you're, you, this might be why you're saying that you shouldn't have to come up with a, a perfect implementation, they should show how the work they're doing is safe.
1: Yeah, if I did come up with a perfect implementation, I would for sure share it. But yes, I, I think we've got it a little bit backwards in the AI safety community sometimes. And I think it's just that we're used to being in like an underdog role and not having a lot of power. The way it should be is that the people developing the dangerous technology should have to prove to like the people that are affected by their externalities, like the people of Earth, that it is safe. It should not. It might be possible that that we can't make it safe. We should. Our solution should include that as a possibility. So when people ask me how would you end the pause, like you have to tell them like what they can do to end the pause. I think like that would be nice if we knew that answer, but we don't, and we don't owe it to companies certainly to give them criteria when they can start building again they owe it to us they owe it to us like a reasonable guarantee of safety from their product
0: i think what the top agi corporations are leaning towards right now is a voluntary agreement around some some form of institute where that that has some safety standards that they all abide by it is would that be enough for you do, do you think that could suffice to 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 make us safe
1: I'm torn on this. So pause. You know, pause AI is not committed to a position like magic is like one ML AGI consortium or something like that. Is one version of this proposal that I've heard running the pause itself might require like an international agency just to run enforcement. So the UN Nuclear Nonproliferation Treaty is the the model that I am aspiring to. I would that seems to me like the ideal way to implement a pause is through an international body. You know, the UN's member states cooperate to be part of enforcement for the nuclear nonproliferation treaty it's the nations that have nuclear war capabilities that have the responsibility of enforcing the treaty and making sure that no one new acquires nukes and that they that other members nuclear states don't abuse the treaty and providing actually b- benefits of nuclear to states civilian benefits to states that d- don't have their own nuclear programs that seems great to me but that might be a little bit too light on enforcement for AI, I mean, it's going to be a lot harder to know who's doing AI development. It's going to require a lot more monitoring, perhaps, as we'll get into, I'm sure algorithms get better. It might require like software monitoring to know that people aren't breaking that treaty. So even like a treaty that has kind of similar, like simple language about what's allowed would maybe require much more expertise to enforce. So just just enforcing a pause might require an agency and whether or not part of that agency or part of that treaty is that there's a monopoly on research going forward. I, I'm of two minds. So a lot of people really believe that it's the the race dynamics between the labs that are causing, sorry, I shouldn't say labs, because that really gives a very positive impression of them like they're just doing research. They're companies, they're AGI companies. So that the the, dyna- the dynamic of racing among the AGI companies is... the the cause of this and that like, otherwise they would have time to do safety research and they wouldn't have, they wouldn't be propelled ahead to try to make breakthroughs first. I do not believe this. I believe that there'd be plenty of incentive to race ahead, even if it were just one company. I'm hesitant about building things on the template of the Manhattan Project. Like nuclear, I think we got off very lucky in this, the the world that we're in where there was, you know... (laughs) As limited use of nuclear weapons as there was, but I, the end product of the Manhattan Project was to create a destructive technology.
0: But of course, I mean, in the Manhattan Project, that also came about at least partly because of worries about the Germans developing nuclear weapons. And so even though there was some sort of monopoly there, it was also maybe a monopoly that, that was started because of, of underlying race dynamics.
1: And, and so CERN is a more like neutral example that I like CERN. I, of course, enjoy learning fundamental truths about the world. And I there would be lots of benefits to safe AI, of course, that we maybe should try to get. I just, I, I would really, my preference is that, and not everyone has to to feel this way, but I just want to get this out there. My preference is that we really exhaust avenues for figuring out how to make it safe before we develop it at that point, maybe it's a more complicated discussion, you know, among humanity. And if that personally, if if in a worldwide discussion that was truly representative, there was a vote, and humanity decided to like take the risk after having explored ways to, you know, answer the question before taking the risk, I would feel a lot different. I'd feel a lot better about moving ahead at that time. Really think the wise thing is to just take, you know, maybe even a century, like what is that in the in the future that humanity could have to, to make sure that this is safe to re, to try everything there are, you know any way that doesn't require building models and haphazardly letting companies let all kinds of incentives direct their activities to to make this technology
0: i think if we're talking about a century level pause People would begin asking questions about other dangers we're facing during that century. So we might face pandemics or climate change or something that we could have used advanced AI to help us solve. but but because we paused, we didn't have it available to help us. Do you, do you think that's that's plausible, reasonable objection?
1: I think that the the immediate risk of of rushing to make AGI like in time to face threats like that is much higher. I think that would just introduce a much higher risk. Than those problems present on their own. Also, if you, I don't think that you know, it, it, we have to be talking about extinction, you know, for, for this issue to matter. I think that it matters well short of everyone dies. But as far as everyone dies, climate change, I don't think is a, a genuine existential risk if that's your concern. And even nuclear war, I think, is unlikely to be an existential risk, or it's, it's more likely to sort of run itself out or pandemic a synthetic pandemic could kill everyone and a natural pandemic could kill everyone i mean it happens to other species i think that's it's less likely in humans for various reasons but but a synthetic pandemic is most likely to exist because of ai so there's a concept that is is kind of tough for public communication but the uh offense defense asymmetry it's really worth explaining often so it's it's just The idea that there are many, many more ways to harm a system than to improve it. Uh, So just by default, if you're doing powerful things, they're more likely to be harmful than beneficial. Uh, And it takes a lot longer to respond to attacks than it does to make attacks. So when you develop a new technology, it is true that you can use it to defend yourself, but that's gonna take some time some adaptation. And the things that you don't know it's going to do are also likely to harm you if they're, if they're big enough changes that they make to you that and it's not fine-tuned to what you need and what would be good for you, then it's likely that they'll harm you. So that's my assumption about what happens if we rush on AGI. Not that... Maybe we get a chance to. I mean, if you, if you had one year and the aliens were going to come and definitely kill us all, then like maybe it'd be worth a mad dash. But that's that's the trade off that I'm thinking of. I don't think that other risks to humanity are anything close to the risks we pose to ourselves with shoddy AI.
0: What you just said about offense defense balance does does that fit well with the history of technology? I I think that most technologies throughout history have been net positive and potentially also strengthening of societies or hardening of societies. But I, maybe you disagree. I think it
1: de- depends on the scale you look at. So if you look, there's often like a sort of like sawtooth pattern with new technologies. So there's like immediate harms and then sort of like the pie of what's available to everyone grows and everyone's better off because of that. But like, but if there's any asymmetry and like who has the technology at first, like there's... so on a small scale like things like spam and like scam attacks and stuff every a new technology opens up a lot of opportunities for scams slowly there's people evolve immunity either they just recognize the wording of the scams or they don't take you don't have to answer every phone call anymore because a lot of the calls are scammers you know google gets better at recognizing spam and so you don't get as much spam in your inbox gradually things kind of go back to normal and everybody gets to use this new awesome like easy messaging technology so but but it's still present like when there's a new technology you do have to navigate these things it's just with every technology we've had so far the the vacillation hasn't been so wide that you know we were threatened our existence was threatened except with the exception of warfare technology i mean that's uh people usually don't want to call that technology <laughs> or like when they talk about progress but you know that's the major driver of progress is the ability to like break free of an equilibrium that has been established where, you know, you have weapons, they have defenses, they have weapons, you have defenses. If any new technology gives you an edge, that's, that's what an arms race is, you know? And in that case, you know, it's arguably no one's winning because what we all have these more destructive technologies at the end of the day, like
0: yeah, we're spending, and <laughs> you could imagine a situation in which countries are spending an increasing share of of their GDP on on military technologies to defend against other countries with with also increased military budgets.
1: Many such cases. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah many such cases. That will probably be bad for everyone. I uh, was thinking, do you think we need? legislation in the U.S. or in China or in the EU to deal with this issue? It would, would an international institution or governing body be too weak in terms of enforcement uh, to matter much?
1: Well, the UN has done a good job on nuclear weapons. And again, it relies on its member states to do that. So d- depending on who you want to attribute that to, they do cooperate to enforce nuclear non so while our ask is the global indefinite, I do in fact think that lots of things would be good. They would be better than we have now. And having agreements between like the U.S. and China would take us a lot of the way there. Uh, if the, if us, you know, the U.S. and China, I'm American, were willing to make an agreement like that, it would pave the way for others, definitely. So I think that that would probably be positive. China is, I think, the only person who was asked in a UN session about a pause the possibility of a pause i believe they were accused they were accused of trying to manipulate regulations because they were behind in that case so everyone's everyone's trying to no matter if they're winning or losing they're trying to manipulate regulations whenever they suggest pausing or, or danger
0: yeah i guess this this there's, there's not a lot of ground for trust there and so you're constantly questioning the motives of the other actors in the situation and so I think it's 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 probably unavoidable in, in high level global politics that this this would happen, but I, I agree it's a shame that that we we can't kind of just communicate clearly what it is we want and, and be believed. Uh, that would be a, a better situation. So the, what I see is kind of like the highest level of of governance or the governance we would need to pause AI is the governance of computing resources, so compute governance. How how does that fit into your vision of pausing AI?
1: So compute governance is usually the example we give of how you would do it. But when I, as a representative of Pause AI, talk about pausing AI, it's about the outcome. It's not about the policy. I do think compute governance is a good policy. It's fortunate that we have something that's kind of analogous to nuclear material that you can you could limit. It is heartening when there have been voluntary agreements by the AGI companies to reduce danger or to implement safety policies. Definitely not enough They because they don't have teeth. The kind of thing that can be administered by an external body is something like compute governance. You can notice there's a limited supply of chips. They come through you know, basically one supply chain. They can be monitored really well. Because of the way LLM development has turned out, it just seems like the more compute you have, basically, the bigger model you can get. And so putting limits on those should, at least for a while, until algorithms get better at using that same amount of compute, reduce the power of models available. So there's actually like a fairly good, that's a fairly good possible mechanism for controlling, you know, the size of models. But in principle, I'm open to just like totally different plans of attack. Like if it became just economically too burdensome to train LLMs because you had to, say you had to pay every contributor to your data set individually, and it was just impossible, you know, and so it became impossible to use like the common crawl data set. I mean, now people just make synthetic data, but even that is based on the common crawl. So depending on, if if a law could be made that was so burdensome for the use of data, you know, that there was just no economic incentive anymore to, to build LLMs, then Wow, that's not the kind of thing I would promote because it doesn't clearly it doesn't clearly show the connection to what I'm talking about. Like I'm I'm not saying that it's because you shouldn't use the training data necessarily. I'm saying it's because it's dangerous in itself. So I prefer to focus on stuff that's closer to like this is the these chips are like the nuclear material that like makes this possible. But I, really, lots of policies, any policy that led to a pause, I think would be I shouldn't say that. Not any policy, of course, there could be negative effects but you know any of the policies uh, that are out there that could lead to pausing or dramatically slowing i think like in principle could be good if if that was the policy that had support from enough people and we could agree on we could just get that implemented then also we would be interested in that
0: I think the most common objection to pausing AI is that we will get an overhang in either algorithms or computing resources or data, training data. And so the the objection goes that if you pause for, say, six months or five years, whenever you unpause, you will simply have more training data available, you'll have more computing resources, and so it'll be easier to make progress on the most advanced and potentially dangerous uh, kinds of AI. Do you, think, do you think we would face such an overhang and how do we deal with that uh, objection?
1: I'm going to start with what I think is useful about this objection. So I think this concern has implications for enforcing a pause. So one concern, one big concern is that maybe you shouldn't pause if you're like a hair's breadth away from what you think is the dangerous model. A good pause should be robust and it should have a cushion. So we should think that we're not... Right up on the edge of a dangerous superintelligence, because you know maybe it's too late then. Maybe just if P- if bad actors get together enough compute, they make the model that breaks through, and so it, we'd be better off not trying to enforce a pause right then, but trying to do like other mitigation methods or trying to do better monitoring of who is the per- who are the people who are close, something like that. So I think there are implications of the possibility that there's enough compute lying around, algorithms improve just enough so that if you're very close, you should consider that your range of, we can't just act based on only the model that we see. We have to think about like what's achievable sort of with what's out there right now and what, what could be out there right now or within you know the time of the pause. And so I think it's a reason to implement pause ASAP because <laughs> um, I don't think we know where we are on that front. So what I don't like about this criticism, I think it's pretty overblown. And so a big reason is that it's kind of assuming, or often people who bring it up to me are assuming that the rate of production of chips and the rate of work on algorithms and all that is just going to stay the same during a pause, which seems very unlikely to me. I mean, these chips, by far, their number one use is these data centers. They're not going to make as many chips if people aren't buying them. And they're not going to make them and just stockpile them if the pause is any appreciable length of time, most likely. They might have time to, you know, do theoretical developments on them, but that's going to be slower. And likewise, you know, ML engineers are going to take other jobs and, you know, maybe not come back. And maybe they're not, maybe, you know, these companies lose a lot of funding during that time because they're not able to work on their mission. And I mean, it's very, it seems very unlikely that just nothing would change for them such that there's this overhang accumulates in all of those areas.
0: But maybe there's still demand for high-end chips from, say, the crypto mining industry or the gaming industry. And so progress on hardware might continue, even if demand falls uh, because we're not training uh, frontier large language models.
1: It seems unlikely to me that it would continue to progress at the same level, given that the data centers are, you know, the majority usage of these chips. There might be more theoretical, like, on-paper progress. There might, of course, there's still... Other uses of the chips, but there's only so many Pixar movies and like, you know, gaming PCs and like for them to be used on. Also, it's, I hear speculation, you know, I'm no chip expert myself, but I'm very interested in learning about the chips and, you know, what handles there may be for regulation. And uh, I'm told that like moving in the direction of specializing chips for data set for training, you know, would probably, there would probably theoretically be improvements. So currently, like NVIDIA's chips are pretty much the same, the ones that like they would sell to Pixar, the ones that, I mean, if you had like a super nice gaming PC, you know, like the it would be the kind, in, in other ways, it's the same kind, you know, and the differences in them are more about like capacity. And there are probably things that could be done to specialize them for training centers. So if there's progress more on the general chip, that's maybe better than if there's pressure or incentive to be working on chips specifically for training. Of course, there are chips specifically for training, like TPUs were made with that in mind. And it is kind of interesting that they don't seem to really work better than the, than the GPUs, as far as I know, or maybe or they're not being like well exploited. My general take on that is that surely it's not going to be the same rate of progress as when there's high demand and when there's a lot of hype and investment. So I, it make, in, in fact, empirically, so AI impacts looked into this. I think Jeffrey Hinninger did a report on this looking for overhangs and other technologies, and they didn't really find any, which is somewhat indicative, you know, that like they don't accumulate when the tech isn't actively being built. For what it's worth, you know, there's it's hard to get empirically relevant information on these topics, but when, when they looked, they didn't find cases of it. So that contributes to my model of it. And then also, it doesn't take into account all the progress we can make on safety, on governance, and then if necessary, in figuring out how how to make sure the pause never ends, like if that seems to be the best course of action. During the pause, there's time to do all of these things, pass laws, you know, and that never seems to be considered. It's just the thought experiment is just like we stop, nothing's different, and then we start again, nothing's different, and the rate of production of all of the raw materials is the same, and then we start again. So yeah, as I say, it's not like there's nothing important about this consideration. I think like that, that's a reason to me to to not delay in implementing a pause because if you implement a pause too close to the edge, if if loose compute and like algor- if algorithmic progress that's achievable like put you into the danger zone, like it's not the right policy at that point. I mean, there might or it, it's not the right policy without like targeted enforcement. So I do I think there's something to the idea of what you could achieve. I don't see it as like a knockdown argument to to pause. And I've, I've heard it a lot. <laughs> yeah.
0: And there would also be less demand for giant training data sets or algorithmic progress. You think, I think there would be less demand for, for giant training data sets and to more optimized uh, training sets. But I wonder if algorithmic progress is so generally useful that that would continue. And so if you're squeezing more performance out of the same hardware, that's that's also an overhang that that's, that's potentially less affected by by decreasing demand.
1: I actually don't know how generally useful these algorithms are.
0: I think I think they're they're more generally useful for, you know, if if it's a if it's a basic algorithm for for doing some basic task, you would imagine that uh, being useful in in basically any application. But yeah, I, I'm not I'm not an expert in uh, in algorithmic progress.
1: I thought they were all about just like memory allocation and kind of like tricks and you know that's sort thing. Of- but I imagine everything through the lens of I, I used to be a computational biologist, and I use And like when we got GPUs in the cluster at Harvard, it was this big deal. And like, and you, yeah, you had to like tell for most of the like not great, you know, bioinformatics programs I used, you had to like tell each thread what to do. And, you know, and so that's what I think of, but I might be completely wrong.
0: Yeah, I, I've heard words that, that, the worry kind of is that the cat is out of the bag that even even if we stop now everybody
1: says that phrase Sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you but, find that? yeah i've 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 heard it a lot where that because we have open source models because we can we, we can tinker with these these models we might be able to combine them or make them do a chain of thought reasoning or various tricks to increase their their performance that it's it's basically the the compute governance we might want or the pausing we might want is not possible because of this.
1: So I think a lot of that is, do you know this phrase, Teams mindset? So Teams is like the little Shiba Inu who's like, mm, you know, and he just like, I, it sometimes strikes me that people say these things like very automatically. And then if you think about, if you like say like, well, you know, we, we have like a whole cybersecurity industry, like people we do like try, there is this offense defense asymmetry, but like defense is generally possible. I mean, we have to like, not just be so quick to give up. Then it seems like they didn't really like think of how you would fix everything. Sometimes also a lot of people in AI safety are just used to, I think just certain limitations and they're not used to thinking in like, what if we had the powers of government? Uh, They think they are used to thinking that that's out of reach because it's too hard to describe to government officials or to the public. But it's not anymore. We really could think about if we had the ability to outlaw something that might be very different than just only having the handle of like getting there first technologically or like providing a technology that's more competitive that's also like more aligned. That was mainly the paradigm that they had. So we should consider that, like to save the world, like maybe we would have to do something uncomfortable. I don't like saying, but Larry and jihad because I'm not sure exactly what happened, but and I don't like saying jihad, but um, but like, you know, I, so I didn't read Dune, but like just, you know, like if the choices are like dying and just like and having like a radical paring down of like what kind of technology you use in a certain area, like why is that so crazy? I Like if people really understood that that was the risk, if that became, a, I mean, it should become more clear before something like that happens, just seems like a very like defeated mentality to me, mostly.
0: I think it, it might seem crazy because the technological progress we used to have generally been good for for humanity and so we, we you know i want the next iphone i want the next whatever technological improvements i like all of these things uh, and i guess that, i guess that's where where it comes from that you know of course there's basic skepticism about whether advanced ai would be dangerous and so dangerous that we would have to take take steps such as those you're describing here but i, I guess it's also just because if if you haven't seen the danger, you don't believe in it. I think, and so you've you've seen you've seen technology been a been a positive force in your life, but you haven't seen it be a, been a negative thought, and so you conclude that it can't be a negative.
1: I first, I want to reiterate. I'm like this is thought experiment about like something like you know all like having to ban certain kinds of computation. I really think that we're like early enough if we did a pause, like. A likely outcome is that we would just find a way to make it safe, and or like we would find like paradigms that are safe. We would and we would like be able to get a lot of the benefits, and like it would just life would continue to get better. And it would be because we paused that it continued to get better instead of having a huge a big accident that you know damaged the world or killed everyone. But the other thing (laughs) uh, uh, in response to what you said, I have a blog post called the technology bucket error, and uh, a bucket error is when you like lump things together that aren't really the same category, and. I find this is just pernicious among tech people and among AI safety people that like the the technology sort of has to be one thing. And then often there's a division between technology and weapons. So people will acknowledge that weapons are harmful, but they're not really the same as technology. But everything in technology has to be good. There's no bad technology. It's like just a, a, a dogma that's, I don't know, just very popular in like Silicon Valley. And I guess that's just like become a sort of tech libertarian kind of view, like that history is patterned on the development of technology and like that's the history of progress and progress is kind of the history of our species. I just, I don't personally find it that hard to like separate out different kinds of technology. Like I just, they're just like things to make things happen. Like why would, just like algorithms, like some algorithms are good, some algorithms are computer viruses. Like I don't really understand how we got to this position where that's a that's difficult for people to imagine it comes up again and again with the I t- so i you know i live in the bay area you know in california and like this is my amelia and like in ai safety this is my amelia and when i talk to people at the ai companies this is you know, it's all around me and it's a very influential idea. It's not that common, I think, for like just the general public in the US, which I'm trying to reach, but a form of my outreach is like in my own community. And yeah, I've been really surprised to find how pervasive this is. I kind of thought we all sort of thought the same thing that like techno, of course, like finding ways to do stuff that's good, you know, is really good. And and like, we should keep doing that. And that's like how we gain surplus and, you know, and that accumulates in civilization. And that's awesome. It's how we empower people to do the things they want more. And that's, you know, that's really great. That's like maybe one definition of morality is, you know, letting people do what they want, something like that. But like the idea that every tool you make is good, like by definition, and like, if you have problems with it, if your society has problems with it, that's just kind of your problem. And you just have to deal with it. A lot of really ragging on the Luddites, I see. <laughs> like, so the Luddites, I think they've gotten sort of a bad rap. Like, it's not that they were like afraid of technology, which is the way that they're portrayed. It's that they knew that they would be cut out of the earnings in their industry where they were like skilled laborers. And at the time, the technology turned out like far inferior products. And it was difficult for them to like still make a living being pushed out of access to the factories and things like that. And so they destroy the machines as a labor negotiating tactic. I'm not saying that that's necessarily good. It's just a very different story than what we're you know, given, which is that they were like afraid of technology and that they just didn't want a world that was better and ultimately had more, you know, so I think they didn't at all. They just were like fighting for their their own interests, which is like also part of the history of progress. Like if people didn't fight for their own interests, we wouldn't be here either. How that whole narrative has taken shape, I find very strange. And I don't know how much time to spend on it because it does seem like a distraction from what I'm trying to do with Pause AI reaching the general public. But a lot of people who are quite influential, I think are genuinely caught up on that worldview or like uh, they feel that they're betraying it by talking about AI danger in some way, or, or it was okay to talk about AI safety because before, because the goal was alignment. So we would like get the technology, but it's not okay to talk about just not having the technology or risking not having the technology with a pause. That's very different.
0: I guess it's, it's, it might be an at difference in emphasis or or what you're focusing on if you're if you're very very focused on getting the amazing upside then it might seem like a bomber to be told that okay we maybe we should consider pausing it maybe we should consider never developing this technology if, if you've been thinking about the upside and the, and the upside could be enormous of having aligned AI then do, do you think it's it's a difference in in kind of cognitive emphasis
1: definitely a lot of the AI safety people who say this about progress and stuff, have also, I know, like, been looking forward to the singularity or they've been looking forward to just the, the, the huge improvements that humanity could have. Actually, more than one person, not a large number, but more than one person has told me that they wouldn't support pause and they do support alignment because they don't want to die personally. Like, they are afraid if it takes too long, then they'll, you know, their natural life will end before the the AGI, like, fixes death. That was also something I wasn't prepared for. I, mean, I talk about radical life extension with my friends, but I, I kind of always thought we were saying like, wouldn't that be awesome? Like, I didn't realize they thought that that could happen for us, you know, but there's, so a lot of, uh, a lot of different models have like come to light since, since April, since the pause letter triggered these polls that showed me that definitely the, the public is ready to hear about this, that big assumption that we'd had, that we couldn't talk to the public that I think was true at, at one time there was, but if you asked anyone who'd been around a long time in AI safety, they'd say like, no, you'll lose all your capital if you talk about this. And so really, our only options are to like, just work on technical alignment ourselves or like try to influence the people who are building AGI. Once the polls came out, I thought, oh, okay, definitely that's changed. Like it's time to push for the public advocacy. And I was surprised at a lot of misgivings on that. And yeah, one of them was this thing about, you know, if AGI doesn't come, like, all of these future plans that I had, you know, for, for AGI won't come true, or if it comes too late. More than one person remarked to me that it would be like disappointing to just live a natural life and retire. Like it would almost be better to just die in an AI apocalypse or go, you have the singularity than just like have like a boring life, which I think is, I just so don't share that intuition. Like everybody alive getting to live their natural lifespan, like seems pretty great to me. It's even better if we didn't have to die at all. But I just like, don't see, I, I don't see rushing to like build a shoddy rocket that explodes, like to be like the way to get there.
0: So you mentioned that uh, when, if we had a pause, let's say, we would have more prog- more time to make progress on AI safety. I think there's also basic skepticism about whether we can make progress on AI safety without interacting with the most advanced models. This is a point I, I think a bunch of the, the AI safety researchers at the AGI corporations have made that we need the the most advanced models in order to get empirical feedback on our safety techniques. Do, do you think that's necessary? Do, do you think we could make progress without access to frontier models?
1: I mean, I'm no subject matter expert on this, but I do just find it suspicious that this empirical paradigm where you have to build the models makes billions of dollars, And is adopted by other companies who, you know, may or may not have the same motivation for using it. Anthropic, you know, for instance, really does want to make AI safe, but that doesn't mean that they're uncorruptible and they have just an incredibly valuable product on their hands and they have just millions of dollars in investment. And there's a pattern of groups breaking off, you know, like, so OpenAI starts because of concerns about DeepMind not being safe enough. Anthropic breaks off. It's a lot of engineers from OpenAI, and it's supposed to be more about safety. And then they become the largest companies. And I, I just think the cycle continues. Uh, they, they're. How can they maintain those pure motives when they're dealing with that kind of profit? When they, when, and also it's not even. I, I don't like when people frame this as if like money is the only corrupting force. There's other things that they value, which are good things, but they can still corrupt you. Like. They value status in the AI safety community. Uh, That's a lot of the employees there, you know, are there because they were originally part of the like less wrong AI safety community. And they really value their reputation there. And there's, I think, a lot of incentive to. So if Anthropic ends up doing this empirical paradigm, there's just a lot of incentive for them to really believe that it's the right thing. It has to be the right thing. Also, Another incentive is people who do this kind of work, they like working on the models. They don't like doing depressing theoretical work that doesn't go anywhere. And like, so because there's a lot of feeling of progress because you're getting to do a lot of stuff, you're making a product, you're getting to like play with the models. I think people convince themselves that this is the right kind of research. Therefore, can't you see this paradigm is so much more productive than these theoretical paradigms because look look at all we've done, you know? But are they really doing fundamental safety research? I don't know. I mean, it, the base model is still just whatever it is, generally. They, and then they like they don't really know why that is. They eval it to make sure it's not too dangerous. They do also during that, you know, they do what you could call like editing fine-tuning you know of based on the responses they receive with humans. And that seems sufficient for small models to make them do what we want, but that's not really the fundamental kind of safety we need for dealing with the big model. I don't think. It doesn't seem like it to me. I guess it's not inconceivable to me that that's, that's a way that just continues to work at higher and higher scales, but I, I'm not willing to put all of my eggs in that basket. And that is basically what they've been allowed to do. I don't think it's wrong to have like that paradigm in the mix as just a theory about what the best way to do safety might be. But so I don't think that's wrong to have that in the mix Like that is an idea about maybe that is the best way to do safety. Uh, Maybe if that's the case, by the way, we just shouldn't be doing it. You know, maybe it's too, maybe it's too dangerous, but there are other ideas about how to do safety. There are other ways that don't advance capabilities, possibly like different architectures. So like Davidad's open architecture, a lot of people are very excited about that. I can't really pretend to understand why it's different or better, but I, you know, rely on enough people and that seems promising. And it seems that it doesn't require advancing capabilities to like make some progress on it.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping to interview him on his his model because I, I'm not sure I understand it fully either, <laughs> but uh, I would like to.
1: Well, the claim is that, you know, it, it can, it would be safe by design and I don't really understand why, but I, I know that there are at least other paradigms to consider. And now that would probably be very like bad for morale and anthropic if they like scrapped what they were doing empirically and went back to kind of went back to the drawing board. Uh, that would be really tough. Their investors certainly wouldn't like that.
0: What, what do you think of? So you've mentioned Anthropic a couple of times here. What, what do you think of their uh, responsible scaling uh, policy, which is which is just basically they they want to evaluate the model, the models they produce, and they want to evaluate how safe they are, and then they want to pause if they find out that the models are unsafe. I think that's intuitively that that sounds kind of like a plausible vision for for how safety could go, and it seems. You know why would you why would you want to pause if you if you haven't found out that the, you you know you haven't seen that the model is dangerous why why would you want to pause so do you do you think that could work that we kind of surgically pause or we have a timed pause right at the moment where the models become dangerous?
1: I'll answer about RSPs first and then in surgical pauses second. So I am happy. I think RSPs are better than nothing. You know they're non-binding policies that the company says they will do. And it, it, but it's it's something. It's an indication of what would make them stop. If you saw this, would you stop then? Which is better than them just having no, no promise to stop at all, you know, under any circumstances. Which is was the alternative.
0: Yeah, and I, I think they, they should be given credit for saying something publicly that they can then be, they, they can later be criticized if they they break their 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 kind of, it's a non-binding promise, but if they break that, that promise to pause if their models are dangerous, you know, they've put something out there. Same, I think, yeah, this is a tangent, but same could be sort of set for OpenAI's uh, super alignment project where they aim to solve alignment in four years. And there will be questions in four years if they haven't uh, solved alignment.
1: That project, I just okay, so I
0: not to not to take us off course, but
1: <laughs> one comment on super alignment, which is okay, so apparently it's not an intelligence explosion setup because there's a human in the loop. How is that? I don't understand. Like it just seems like it's setting up like co-evolution in a direction possibly and like I, you know, I used to be a biologist. I studied sequence evolution, like coevolution is it, it just takes like the sequences to like unrecognizable places because they're only responding to each other. I don't know how alignment to whom i it's such a confusing premise to me like nothing about it makes sense Four years I just I don't really get it
0: that critique okay we, we, we might have to go into that what does it mean that they're only responding to each other in sequence evolution what does that mean
1: so the thing I'm used to is co-evolution of like it, if there are two proteins that all they do is like bind to each other then they're not going to have like recognizable domains that do something else like they can just have and their sequences can change all the time, as long as they like, if, you know, coevolve. As long as they still like serve their function together. So you see this with like immune system stuff, you know. So there's like pathogens evolve, and the immune antigen antibody evolves, and like so the analogy to intelligence for me here is that if you have the AI aligner and the AI like they can be aligned to each other and like, what is aligning them to humans? Like I, it's not really, there's one, apparently there's one part of the, the loop that is broken by like a human doing something in their plan. But so it can't also, it can't just, you know, iterate itself really quickly, but it just seems very fragile. Like if, if they were, and the plan is to not have the human in the loop, eventually the plan is that the human won't be able to be in the loop, right? I don't really understand how that's a plan to align to humans.
0: That makes sense to me. Aligning AI and the AI that's being aligned in this paradigm, they will be responding to each other and they will, the the aligning AI will succeed in in aligning the the AI that's being aligned to something. But is that something, the the kind of human values we would want it to be aligned to?
1: Yeah, because it's not anchored. I don't see how it's anchored to those. Like, it just seems like what you're setting up is only these two need to respond to each other. And I don't know how that's anchored on what's good for humans. It seems to me like that's the kind of system that like based on like analogous things that I've studied that just it it will bear like sequence evolution can be extremely rapid, you know, in those systems because it's not constrained by like function or the only function is like responding to this other thing. So it's not constrained by some other kind of like physical function it needs to perform. So that is, I mean, take that as a very uninformed critique on super alignment. I've never gotten a good description of it that made me feel that I understood what was going on. So that could be a baseless criticism. But on RSPs.
0: Yeah, let's get back to anthropics paradigm for safety.
1: I do think, you know, as I'd said, like, if it's true that you have to do the you have to build and you have to study them empirically, that might already be an admission that they're too dangerous to build. I think, you know, and I think the answer to that depends on what people think about it. You know, what, what level of danger will people tolerate is I've heard the analogy, like you don't clear a minefield by like stepping out, you know, and like seeing if like, well, if there's no mine in this step, then I'll know that we're good, you know, and then the next step and like, that's not how it works. And you might have a different threat model from these models. And I'm pretty confident that Anthropic does. Uh, they think that it would be much easier to catch, and it would, be, it would be a much more gradual transition to something dangerous. But I also people put so much faith in evals. They are just mm-hmm. evals, evals, evals. People love this word, you know. <laughs> but, but they all they are is just asking the model stuff. It's not like it's a comprehensive test of like everything that could go wrong with the model. It, I really think people put far too much confidence in them as well. And so it could be that we've already made dangerous models that we don't know how to eval properly to to get that information. So yeah, the whole thing strikes me as like, it's better than nothing, but like, probably not good enough. I mean, you really, your prior really has to be that it's very unlikely to be dangerous. It's very likely that that bad capabilities will emerge gradually. It's, you know, you'll have a long time to kind of figure this out. Even your just probing will give you sort of gradually a picture of we're going in a dangerous direction. And then also, like, I don't know what they plan to change to fix it. If they do pause, like, I'm really not sure. I know sort of what what things will trigger pauses and what sort of, you know, evals they'll run. But I don't really understand, like, so what, you just train a different one and, like, hope it's different. I don't know. Like, maybe when you do the exact same process, you get, like, a different model this time and it doesn't have these problems. What can you do that's different fundamentally? I'm really not sure. I mean, I suppose there's ideas about doing sort of correction while you're training on RLHF type correction while you're training maybe
0: but you're thinking because the basic setup of of training a large language model using transformer architecture on a bunch of data it's it if you haven't changed anything fundamentally what what how do you how do you get a safer model if you've if you've been you've gotten some evaluations back and they've said your model is dangerous what do you then do differently and yeah i'm not i'm not sure i I think that's an open question right no one knows the answer to that question
1: they'd have to wait well yeah so anthropic hasn't published its AI safety level four criteria and and then it'll it'll have higher levels
0: than that are there so are there general lessons about this we could call it a surgical pause if I'm thinking about anthropics RSP
1: right so I do not like this phrase surgical pause I think that it's a very silly idea because it, it just feels very reckless to me like so so what are we talking about that's like val- that we're trying to preserve with the surgical pause like what are we not cutting away it's having like that little bit of extra progress that we can maybe have of the models. And it's like, how could that, like what you're sacrificing there is your robustness, the the robustness of a pause, for example. So like a pause is safe when we're like quite a ways away from the danger model, pause is much less safe. And, And they're saying let's pause at that time, you know, it's much, but in order to gain this bit of extra models, you've like lost all of your cushion here. And, it, and the pause doesn't work as well. So people will justify this by saying, well, we need that for safety. And actually, that, that kind of model, like that's the closest we can go, is the only kind that's really valuable for safety because it's the closest to what the dangerous model would be. But if, if we haven't solved this problem, how do we know how close we are to the danger model? We don't. So And if it's really hard to make any useful empirical conclusions from earlier models that are far away from this model... How can we think that this model will be valuable enough? Like, what's the value of that? On the empirical paradigm, I think it makes no sense. I think it makes zero sense. The cushion for the pause is worth so much more. And if the pause is the response to the, you know, surgical pause is the response to having like, now this is like the most dangerous model tolerable, then it's it's not going to work. Like we've just pushed us into territory where like, you know, anybody trying to go against the pause and like break the rules, like could develop the danger model also not clear at all what we would do to treat the danger model. Like the empirical model doesn't tell us that it just kind of says when we would, when they would stop working for a while. (laughs) The empirical model at most gives you like a description of what different models given different inputs and training are kind of like, it doesn't really tell you like how to defend against them necessarily. It's like, it's, I don't think that having those extra models is really that defensively valuable. And I really suspect that the reason people like this idea is because it meant that it was, we didn't have to start thinking about a pause now. That, and that the fact that people don't talk about it that much anymore makes me think that it's just kind of passed in fashion for the most part. Makes me also think that I, I don't hear people speaking as like full throatedly for the empirical model as they were like a couple, like a year or two ago.
0: I guess the general idea is just to, to get to develop these more advanced models to, to gain information about how they work. And then you would have kind of the optimal amount of progress where you get to learn about the models to the largest extent possible before you then perhaps decide to pause.
1: The claim was that this would be the most valuable information we would have for AI safety that we could like take into the pause and work with. But it's not clear, like how do you work with it during the pause? It doesn't seem like it's all based on playing with the models. <laughs> like, I guess you have longer to study those models and like ask them questions and stuff. And like, maybe you could know more complex things about how they work than you could with like GPT-2, you know, GPT-5 will, have like a more complex uh, worldview that you could study with enough time. But mostly what these evals are is not that. (laughs) And I think you could probably be learn a lot from the smaller models that we know are okay from just being around for long enough. Why do we need to know interpretability on the largest models when we don't understand the smallest models? Like surely that's where you'd start, right? We could develop them later if we had to. If we really exhausted all of the other possibilities for safety research, like the next step could be like safely something like a magic, of a CERN, like develops the next model for the purposes of safety research because that's the only way to do it. But like just the idea that we should just let these companies just do that because probably that's how it works. I, and then we should stop like when they think it's dangerous, like it's just what?
0: I think if you contrast the safety efforts of the Machine Intelligence Research Institute before this kind of current AI boom with, for example, interpretability of language models or reinforcement learning from human feedback, which kind of a technique that coincided with, with large language models. If you If you take that contrast and then say, okay, how much progress did MIRI actually make I think, in their own estimation, they, they've, they've at least some of their research directions haven't panned out, and they haven't been super satisfied. And maybe that's because they didn't have the empirical feedback. Maybe this was because they tried to do the theoretical work before you, they had the models to work with.
1: I don't know if that's true for like agent foundations. I don't know. Like, I think that just is a theoretical, um, and it is it's mathematical. I mean, you can run like simulations and stuff of your ideas, but it is like, it's different than, yeah, than what Miri was doing. I think Miri got very disillusioned with their research paradigm. And I'm not sure if that's like actually an indication that it was used up. I'm really not sure because they are a small group and they were working in isolation and they felt, you know, like what they were doing was something that like the public doesn't accept. And so I think if they were to be doing that in to, in like an academic environment today, that would be very different than what happened before 2017 is my, my suspicion. I don't think it necessarily reflects on the type of research they were doing, except in that in the, doing the empirical research and building the models is clearly like really good for morale. Like the employees love it. Like I have spoken to many people about this and, uh, I've read some like kind of revealing writing talking about how like, like, I don't want to move from like a safety person at uh, an AGI company. Like, I don't want to move in a direction like the environmentalist movement where everyone's sad all the time and like, they don't, you know, they're doing like protests and stuff instead of like building things and working with models and, you know, and I think it's like the feeling of progress, whether or not it is progress uh, is really good for the employees. No doubt these places, these companies are incredible places to work. Everybody feels, everyone I talk to is so happy to be like part of the team. They get these great benefits. <laughs> they make like anywhere from 300000 to a million dollars a year. Like they, I mean, they are treated really well. And then in this, in the AI safety community, they're treated like heroes, or at least they were up until perhaps the pause option came on online. And I think that's a lot better for morale than Miri. Miri also had a lot of respect for, you know, Eliezer being like the founder of the community. But like they didn't, you know, a lot of the work they did was secret. And they didn't have like a big group, you know, to have like fun, like development days. And they didn't have, certainly couldn't offer like crazy salaries like that. And they weren't like making the cool stuff, you know, which, you know, Miri started out as the Singularity Institute. They wanted (laughs) to have the thing. That's the kind of stuff all of those people were into, And they started working on something different because they became convinced there was this danger. And, you know, I I think they would probably enjoy working on like really cool, productive feeling stuff too. But yeah, my ultimate point there is that we don't know how actually productive the empirical paradigm is for safety. It might be that like the right path is just through a, a bunch of like head banging, like theoretical work. It also might be that the right path is through just creating like adequate sandboxing and safeguards and trying a lot of very small incremental progress that's not satisfying but it is safe
0: but you feel like it's it's fun and it's empowering to to work on these models and that explains uh, some of the some of the reason why people prefer the empirical paradigm
1: oh absolutely i think this is one of the, the corrupting factors and I mean, gosh, you don't want to say that someone is bad for, like, loving their job and loving to, to learn and getting to do cool stuff. Like, that's, of course, they're not, but it's just, it does, it makes the alternatives, I think it just makes it very easy to dismiss or rationalize away, like, a lot of alternatives and a lot of objections.
0: Yeah, so what, what's your sense in, in general of what people working at the ADI corporations think about passing?
1: Actually, I've so mostly have access to people who work on safety within those companies. So that's a different subset, clearly. But actually, a lot of them are more positive than I would have thought. Like, some it was interesting when pause was sort of thrown on the table by the FLI letter. At first, people didn't, you know, know what everybody else was going to think about it. And like, it was interesting, like, the spread of reactions. Like, some people were like, yeah, obviously we would do this if we could, you know, we just thought it was impossible. Other people really did not like the idea. thought it was bad, you know, like it was, and, and there were a lot of, frankly, very nasty reactions that were kind of like knee jerk, like shaming reactions, like, like only someone who's not in the, you know, in our group would think that that was a good idea. And like, and I wasn't, I was working on animal welfare at the time. So there was like a lot of that toward me or just like, (laughs) like, that's so unrealistic and it was honestly because I kept getting bad arguments for why it wouldn't work that I persisted and like kept like, and eventually I was just like all my free time. I was like having meetings about this and like quizzing people like, okay, so why wouldn't it work? Like what's going on? Like compute overhang. Okay. Okay. And then I just like thought more about, learned more about that. And I like, I really don't think that's like a solid objection. And the biggest thing that got me into it was that I knew something about advocacy and pretty much no one in the AI safety community did. And they just didn't like advocacy and they, And they don't like government solutions generally, like, and there were a lot of reasons that they was related to why they thought pause wouldn't work. Yeah. So some of them, like right from the beginning, were like, yes, like this would be the goal if if we could achieve it, if everyone would agree, like this would clearly be the goal of coordination. Some people were, were kind of prompted by this whole thing to like change their entire worldview. Like they had been very pro alignment, but alignment doesn't really require them to not work on ai you know and and the idea that like pause would be entailed by like the same philosophy like made them kind of like backtrack a little bit on some of the philosophy I, a lot of people's p doom went way down suddenly you know i think I, I mean clearly a lot of that was performative like you know i this is how much i care this is how much i understand this issue my p doom is so high
0: and we we should say we should say p doom is this probability of of human extinction from from ai specifically
1: I think that's what most people mean by it. Yeah. I So I, when I say P doom, it, it includes my like worst outcomes, like extinction or like, you know, zoo torture or something like just, or something even worse, you know? And then I have like a lot of probability on like society goes badly. Bec- and then, and then there's some amount that's like, it just turns out. So like, maybe I'd put like 15% on like alignment by default. It just turns out there was no problem the whole time. Like there was, it was conceivable, but it just happened to not be the case. Something like that. So my P doom at the beginning of all this was something like twenty to forty percent, and people thought that was really low. And they're like, "Oh, so you're not worried?" <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, this is still the most important problem in the world. Like, what are you talking about?
0: Yeah, it's 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 funny because I'm 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 obviously in, in an environment where I hear a lot of from people who have who are very concerned about this issue. I I, I often hear uh, P dooms of of eighty or ninety percent, and that's. I, I think I think that's it's not necessary to 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 work on these issues at all you could if you believe there's a 10% risk here that's enough to motivate a lot of effort uh, in in the direction we're talking about
1: oh I, that's I feel the same way and I you know I used to not work on AI because there wasn't at the time like a clear path for someone without technical chops to to do it. But I did think at like around 20 to 40% P-doom, I did think like that was the top (laughs) threat. (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of people's P-doom just changed overnight. And I definitely from the lab safety people, I observed this in a couple cases. I I don't know that many of them. So that's kind of a high proportion where suddenly it was like, but you just realize when you like work with the real experts that it's not as bad as they say, or like they're, you know, Eliezer has bad arguments and actually it's they know what they're doing. And I heard this story a couple times. And it's just interesting that they didn't say that before <laughs> the pause letter. They weren't like racing to less wrong to tell people as soon as they started their job that like, actually, like, it's not as big of a problem, you know, as we thought. Uh, many of them, I think, enjoyed a lot of attention and like, you know, hero treatment in the community for their important work. And the pause possibility kind of forced them to rethink that the way that they engage the community. A lot of, yeah. So people who were nominally in the AI safety community, like, but actually not that concerned about AI safety, like thought, you know, like people like Quentin Pope and Nora Belrose, who both kind of argue for, there's probably alignment, by default for the most part. It kind of became clear, like, do you really, I don't know, this is like a perspective on safety, but like your work is like often like lumped in or like, they would come and like work at community workspaces and stuff like this. Like but they actually just work on capabilities and say that like there's no problem with, or there's probably no problem with AI safety. Uh, that difference became more stark after the pause possibility.
0: Yeah, th- these these social dynamics you're describing. It's it's uh, it's it's kind of sad to me that that this is the case. That that of course all humans are affected by these dynamics, and and it's. This also, I guess, goes for for people advocating advocating for the pause right now there's a there's a whole bunch of other social dynamics going where you have to be the ones taking it most seriously and being for the the pausing to the for the greatest amount of time and to the to the greatest extent and so on. It's difficult to to avoid these these dynamics, I think,
1: yeah, it was a lot of that was just really hidden behind there was kind of a comfortable place with the alignment agenda, I guess, like. No, like real, pro- the real, the progress that people felt had been made in recent years was all like getting a foothold in companies and getting like a lot of fellowships set up and, you know, getting people trained on alignment. And there's still, I think, just a very blind faith in like, oh, if we just get more alignment researchers going like, but a lot of them, it was noticed, you know, a couple of years ago that a lot of them just take jobs and capabilities and like aren't actually that dedicated to the, the values of like protecting people. Or even to like the, you know, the glory of future civilization or anything, you know, that a lot of people who can do the work are very attracted to an environment where they get a lot of attention and praise and and then they get training, you know, from the community that's motivated by like a combination of like altruism. There's a lot of effective altruism money and then like a more like rationalist like extropian future oriented stuff yeah a lot of that like just the possibility of pause kind of like blew the lid off of this actually quite diverse set of motives and like way of thinking and it it has divided the group into people who want to want humanity to like make it through the straits and and maybe people who just they didn't realize that they were like never as bought into that being like the central issue or something. like they they just like they did safety work or what was in fact safety work. They got interested in the in the community, and they kind of like would talk the talk, but they didn't share all the values. And yeah, and then, like within within pause, there's a lot of it's interesting because it's we're really figuring things out. like i I want it to be quite a diverse coalition. I want the only requirement, you know, for membership to be that you want a pause on AI development. So there's like infighting about like how much this should be about x risk versus anything else. and. I feel that like the the one of the greatest strengths of the position of pause is that it's the only thing that works for all all AI related harms that haven't occurred yet. So some have already occurred and are occurring. It wouldn't stop them, but it would stop them from getting worse and then everything else it would stop and we would have more time to deal with the pause is a time to deal with human institutions, you know, what do we do instead of jobs as a way to like organize people and give them a stake in their communities? what do we as, as a as a guarantee, you know, of their value? What do we do instead of that? I, I certainly think there are other ways to organize society, but like, do we just, you know, jump headlong into that? and like maybe some people are disenfranchised. Some groups of people are disenfranchised for many generations because we did that. Like, I you know, that seems bad to me. But, you know, some people want to only focus on x- risk and they think it's like there's a competition. I think there is if if you're not, for pause. If you're for other kinds of interventions and some things are good for X risk, and some things are good for job loss or or what have you, algorithmic bias. Yeah. So there's a lot of like, what should the, the character of the pause movement be? Like that's all really being figured out. It is nice when it's new, that's kind of all out in the open with AI safety. A lot of that was like historical stuff that I wasn't even there for. I like when it was set in motion and I kind of untangling it now.
0: Related to the employees at the ADI corporations, you know there's there this whole deba- debacle ra- around Sam Altman and the board, and uh, you know Altman pre- and Altman being fired from OpenAI. All of these things happened. Listeners will probably know this story. I'm I'm interested in what you take away from that story about the power of the employees at the the uh, corporations. If they threaten to walk, there is no company, and so. They probably have a lot of power, but can they yield that that power to to pause if they wanted to?
1: I mean, I don't think it was them wielding the power in that case. <laughs> I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, the main takeaway from the OpenAI board situation is, you know, strategically, they've withheld the information that we need to make a real judgment about what happened. But it's obvious that their self-government didn't work. So Sam bragged, he, like, there's, you know, footage of him, like, on his charm offensive tour bragging that the board could remove him, you know, and, and then they couldn't, you know, (laughs) like they just, so that to me is pretty damning. In fact, I have a, a protest in a few days at OpenAI that is, this is one of the topics it addresses. So I think the biggest implication of that is just that like, they, there needs to be, they can't just be the ones holding this incredibly momentous technology. Like this technology affects everyone and like there needs to be government oversight. And there would be. They're just any in, like any other industry, of course there there will be a lot of government oversight in time. It's just a new industry. They don't know how to regulate it. Tech people are very aware of like how to get ahead of regulation and like get benefit from it, you know, from doing things that the courts won't be able to figure out for years. And, you know, meanwhile they'll have like made their billions of dollars. And this time they're doing it with a technology that could really be catastrophic to everyone. So there needs to be, I mean, I think there needs to be a pause, probably just to even get a handle on that, for government to be able to get a handle on that. And about the power of the employees, yeah, my take is not that the employees were powerful in this situation. I think they were manipulated by Sam. I mean, nobody knows, nobody outside of the org, you know, knows what happened exactly. I did speak to one person who signed the letter, uh, a safety person, and their reasoning was that, well, you know, Microsoft needs a safety team too. Like it would be even worse, you know, they lost the safety team in the ter- in the transition to Microsoft. It would just be like everything the corrupt people want, they can just develop and they kind of have this excuse to not even be bothered by the safety team. It seems like possible, but there were reports that like people were, you know, calling each other in the middle of the night to get them to like sign and to, it was tweeting that cultish statement, you know, like that really bothered me. I mean, it's maybe you feel compelled, like you have to sign the letter, but do you have to be like, I love my CEO. Like, you know, um, you don't know what happened, do you? Like, you don't know why the board tried to remove him. Like, if you're concerned about safety, like, isn't that worrying information? Like, wouldn't uh, no, I just, I, I'm sure it was some combination of people having equity in the company and not a lot, maybe many of the capabilities, people not caring that much about whatever safety concern might've been raised by the board. They were certainly willing to vilify the board and the board safety concerns and and EA. I I don't feel that the employees like showed a lot of agency there. It seems to me like they just followed what Sam and Greg Brockman wanted. But that's just that is I'll just say again, I don't know anything (laughs) that the public doesn't know about this. I mean, I was a big follower of the news, but that is just my take. I'm not claiming to know.
0: What do you think prevents the top AGI corporations from collaborating on pausing. I, I think we've heard from from some of the CEOs of these companies, Altman, uh, Dario, uh, Demis, that that they they may be interested in, in pausing, or they could be interested in pausing, or it, that that's it, these concerns seem genuine to me. But do, do you think do you think if they if if OpenAI and Anthropic and DeepMind wanted to pause, do you think they could? Do you think they they would be <laughs> do you think that would be allowed by the investors in in Google and Microsoft do you think the employer employees would let it happen even even if there would it might be beneficial for all of them to pause together
1: well i know that like anthropic claims that they can't do, say stuff like that because it would violate antitrust law so i don't know how true that is i mean it seems like they could find a way to state that they would pause if Other actors weren't pressing forward without that being collab. It's also like, I mean, is it collusion to not do something? You know, like I, I guess conceivably people are very distrustful of these orgs, but unfortunately it's like they interpret like every action and like even stuff like saying that what they're doing is dangerous as like some kind of like 5d chest to, to avoid safety stuff. So yeah, I mean, they might, they might be right that it would be perceived that way. But then I also think they just yeah people it's easy to say this but then like the the even the AI safety community kind of makes their excuses for them there's that you'll you'll hear a lot like with pause stuff like if we're kind of getting somewhere and it seems like okay this is more possible than I thought but like but come on they're a business you know they have to they have to like they'll people you know say to me like they have to there's kind of just a, an acceptance and then oh in the the OpenAI board situation there was a lot of you know of course people didn't understand like the weird structure of OpenAI that it's actually a nonprofit but. They're like, you know, they they have to, like, this is their duty to shareholders. I'm sure it's a convenient excuse for some. It might be a genuine antitrust concern for others. It might be also a, a genuine concern that, like, there will be new competitors who show up and then, you know, they cripple themselves for no reason. And now they have to catch up because actually this, like, bad actor is like some like meta won't agree. And, and then maybe they actually do take the lead or something. Like, I think there's a lot of fear of that, too.
0: Yeah, I have a bunch of other objections to pausing. I know we've spent a lot of time on objections, but this is what people are, I guess, most interested in when when it comes to pausing. You know, why would why wouldn't this work and and whether we can address these uh, objections? One kind of interesting one is that it sets up the wrong incentives for the companies. So it sets up incentives to look safe as opposed to be safe. If there's a lot of public scrutiny and protesting and you know, people are getting criticized, uh, or the companies are getting criticized publicly, that would incentivize them to set up to look safe, basically, and without necessarily doing the the foundational work that actually makes AI safe.
1: I hear more and less credible versions of this. But sometimes, yeah, sometimes I don't feel that this is like a genuine issue or a genuine issue to raise. But like, sometimes, so like, this happens, like, in organizations, I hear like that, you know, when they when there's like the White House commitments come out, like that's good. It gives the safety people some leverage, but also it means they spend a lot of their time like determining whether stuff is compliant with the White House accords instead of like the safety work they're originally hired to do. That seems to me like a very temporary problem. Like surely if they need compliance officers, like they'll eventually hire them. If like there's this much work for the safety people, I don't feel that they'll be like forever displaced. Also, there might be sort of an illusion here that like just because early on it felt to the safety people like they were focusing on the real stuff that like that would have just continued if they didn't have other work. But it also might be the case that like they would have just been co-opted to do like capability stuff or like PR safety stuff by the company, you know, instead of like at least the externally mandated stuff is externally mandated and that it actually has to be there. Like it's something that is controlled by the government ultimately the people it's not something that's just totally up to the company so there's a lot of this general like mood in ai safety in like traditional ai safety for lack of a better word where if like if we're just really nice to the companies like then you know like they would do what we wanted but like if we're at all if we'd all try to you know get sort of our own power or get like requirements out of them then they're just going to turn on us and we're never going to have the good stuff again we're only going to have like a shitty approximation that's like what the government can figure out and the government's not smart enough to know what to do and blah. blah. we essentially this, this idea that we really need the the agi companies and like we need them to like want to be on our side but we and if we try to get any of our own Like power or get like be really like actual stakeholders, like then it's going to backfire, you know, and we're not going to get what we want. So while I think in principle there's like a trade off between fulfilling regulations and like thinking really deeply about safety, I doubt very much that like in, you know, world's most valuable companies, like that, that's really going to be. The trade-off like they're only going to have a fixed number of people working on safety and they're all just going to work on compliance with regulations if there's any work given to them and like i mean if they're going to do that then like i feel like they didn't care about the safety team in the first place like obviously they obviously didn't think they were doing something very important if they're just going to reassign them to legal stuff
0: yeah i guess the the worry is is, is about a, a kind of a nightmare scenario in which you institute a pause but then the regulators that might be approving what kind what kind of AI uh, work can be done, they can't distinguish between work on capabilities and work on safety. And so maybe you can't do work on safety during the pause. And then what was the what was the entire point of of having the pause? That is placing very little trust in regulators. But I I think it's it's a genuine qu- question because it is. It's, it's very difficult sometimes to distinguish between capabilities and safety research. Um, and sometimes safety research turns into capabilities research. And sometimes that happens without anyone wanting it to happen. And so actually, maybe, maybe it is so difficult to distinguish between these two types of AI research that we shouldn't expect regulators to get it right.
1: Yeah, I guess, but in that case, who's get it, who's doing it? You know, like that's that's a pause. You know, or like that's like the justification for pause is that like a lot of yeah, like uh, the government is not at all caught up to be able to regulate this industry. Like it's going to take a long time, and so like just don't do anything at all is like one option maybe to start maybe until it's clear like what is our principal distinction between safety research and capabilities research or if they're truly that muddled then i think we should consider that we shouldn't do either and it might not be possible to restrict all that kind of research but you know maybe we should be focusing on making sure that it doesn't pick up too much or like pick up steam Uh, so i guess the if it's true that it's so hard to tell the difference that we couldn't trust regulators like I really think we should step back and be like, who can we trust then? Like, because I don't trust even if you think they have more technical expertise, I don't trust the companies more than the regulators. But a lot of a lot of people do have that bias, I think, and, and a lot of people in AI safety have that bias, and they think that the company would do a better job than the regulators because they know more about it. I just think that's like not the only important thing. <laughs> it's like maybe not even like the top five important things about who does the regulation. I think if, if the company is really motivated to do their research, they can find a way to convince, you know, stupid regulators like that it's safe or not. They, they can make their case. They can use their billions of dollars to, to figure out how to do that. I'm sure they will. I think resisting their billion dollar cases is going to be a big job for the regulators. So, yeah, I, I just I don't really buy that one.
0: It's taken us a long time to get to this point, but what if the US pauses and China doesn't pause? What happens then? So th- there's just a, a general worry about uh, doing something on your own while others are not. Uh, and so if Anthropic pauses, well, then they're, they're just out of the game. And then now the, it's a race between DeepMind and OpenAI. If the US pauses, now it's a race between China and whatever other country. It, it, does that hold water? Does that worry you?
1: I, in general, my line on so I don't, so I run pause AI US. I think we should pause either way, you know, so that's basically all I have to usually say about China. But for an audience that like wants more details, yeah, I, I think there's like a lot to consider with China. I think there's some like typical minding where like we, because we're so focused on like the danger and the power of AI that we think that like everyone wants it and it's not clear that China wants it as much China's not dealing with the same problem that we have of like individual companies making, I mean, just, they can like centrally decide on stuff like this. They have a very immediate problem with LLMs, which is making sure it doesn't say the model doesn't say stuff against the communist party. So like they heavily, every every, their LLMs are accessed through APIs that do heavy censorship. They've also like, there's been like, I guess some like varying remarks, but there've been remarks to the, to the effect of, you know, China like is more interested in maybe pausing or like takes a longer scale view of civilization, and then like the the Western countries. Like I've heard that as like a common opinion, and I don't know what if that's reflecting things that were actually said by like officials or or what. But there's just a, we shouldn't assume that it's they just secretly want to build, but they're behind. Like I think if they wanted to, if they wanted to have like LLMs, like we have they could do it probably. There's like chip export controls and things like that. But already like open source models from China are, people claim, you know, at least it's hard because a lot of the metrics for like the power of a model are, can be manipulated. So like, according to like these possibly vanity metrics, like, you know, the Baidu's model is like as good as GPT-4. But it seems like if the Chinese government like wanted to be like developing something like that, it probably could. So it doesn't seem obvious to me that like they would just turn on us and like want to develop an LLM themselves. Like uh, a lot of their values might be different when they say they're kind of interested in a pause or like they ask at the UN General Assembly about a pause. Maybe we should take that seriously. Uh, but the biggest reason for us to do it without them is just if your neighbor's working on a bomb and it could blow up, why would you also start working on a bomb to, to deal with that that could blow up in your face? Like it it doesn't it doesn't make sense like I, I frequently when I talk about this issue with people they'll say things like well yeah I agree we do need a pause but what if China doesn't pause and it's like what are you gonna think if we pause and we like live like another year and then China destroys the world and, and you f- you see the tidal wave coming or you're gonna think like damn it they won like, no, like we lived another year, you
0: know. So, so maybe say the U.S. races ahead and gets to super intelligence, and then they they basically control the globe, and which prevents China from developing their own super intelligence. And now, say you prefer U.S. values to, to Chinese values, or say you. Say, say you, you have more confidence that the U.S. company can build an aligned superintelligence versus Chinese companies building an aligned superintelligence. And so getting there first is a way to ensure safety in, in that way.
1: There's just so many justifications like this that are like the reason that we are where we are. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think at some point you have to stand up and like say what you really think. And for China, if we expect China to be willing to, to pause, we need to be willing to pause too, you know? And we should—we're ahead. We should be willing to pause first.
0: So we've touched on on level of, of risk or, or risk tolerance in general for, on a, on a kind of global scale. Um, how, I'm interested in you know how should we make decisions about the risks we are willing to to run for any kind of new technology? There's some risk, right? I am I am pretty sad that we don't have more nuclear power, for example. But if, I think the the public cannot tolerate nuclear accidents, and so we are just very concerned about about the, the risks of uh, of such accidents. Maybe too concerned. But, you know, in a principled world, how would we make decisions about these risks?
1: I mean, democracy, if we had the capacity, it's it's tough. You know, it's our education of voters is not always adequate. The number of voters that participate is not always adequate. It's hard to aggregate that across nations. But so, so our current system is not, you know, as good as it could be. But but, if I really knew that all you know all the people around the globe took a vote, and I really knew that the majority thought we should just go for it. It's worth the risk. I would feel very different than I feel now. A lot of what motivates me is the injustice of just you know, people unilaterally just making the decision that we're going to move into this new era of human existence or we're going to, you know, die in an inferno, that's it's not that no risk is ever worth taking or that even the big risks can't be worth taking it's that it's just not their right to decide on the taking this risk on everyone else's behalf but yeah if if preferences could be aggregated reliably such and it was shown that people it just was worth it to them for whatever reason they you know people had a vision of you know, the singularity, like a post-scarcity society that they thought was, you know, so beautiful, or they thought that there was some other threat, you know, that maybe did mean that we had to take the the chance now, or they thought, yeah, they thought maybe some other threat would like roll back civilization and mean that this was like our only window for making AGI or something like that, then I would feel quite different if having considered the risk and, you know, everything to the best of their ability, the, the world decided to do this.
0: Even if you yourself still believe that there was like a say thirty percent chance that we all would go extinct,
1: believe me, I would tell people. Yeah, <laughs> but but it would be different. I I mean I would still oppose it. I'm sure and try to do what I could. But like the danger is is one thing, and that is I'm talking about a policy for dealing, pausing for dealing with the danger. But the 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 attitude toward risk has to do with uninformed consent of most people in the world let alone all the animals and you know other <laughs> things that live on the world so as far as determining risk like there's no right answer you know for what risk is acceptable it depends on how much you value the reward it depends on you know how much you care about the thing being risked and, and i don't think there's any perfect answer to that i think in general if you're going to be taking risks on behalf of others they should be quite low so this is I guess what we usually are talking about when we talk about like acceptable risks it's it's things you're allowed to make a call on, but you shouldn't if you know that they're really dangerous. yeah, so all true I mean all actions carry some risk you know and you do and it's it's not that I have the attitude that like risk you should be always minimized in every situation
0: but it's about it's about the risks you're running on behalf of others that is what is
1: I think it's I think. It, If you really understood how high the risk is, how high I think the risk is with AGI, anyone would agree with me. I also think that a lot of that people are wrong about like how the singularity would go. Like they have this vision of like heaven in their minds, or like it would be perfect. And I just think we'd have a very powerful AI and like some things would be good, but some things would also be bad. And like it's so to me, it's not like I think even if people are correct about the risk, they might be doing an incorrect risk assessment because I think they're wrong about. The reward. It weighs very heavily on me, the risk to other people when I assess risk. Some people are not thinking about other, the risk to other people when they assess risk. They're thinking about the risk just that they die or their world is destroyed. People can be wrong, I guess, about their, about like how they, you know, they can be wrong about the facts and that would like change how they would actually on reflection weigh the risk. But like, I just strongly suspect a lot of like singularitarians. I know like if they, Had my my belief about like what would happen after a very powerful AI was and a very capable AI was on the scene would think like no yeah we should pause it's it's only because they kind of believe like well by definition if it's truly aligned it'll do everything I want and so it won't matter that it controls my actions like if it goes well like it it will go well is kind of the the line that you get a lot about that and I think like that's just wrong but someone who believes that can think that a very high amount of risk is is justified. So yes. Yeah, so I was saying, <laughs> I think if I could convince people of my case, you know, for what, that the risk is high, that most people would say, let's not do it. I do. Ha- I have confidence in like being able to make that case. But if it turned out that most people have a yin for that kind of risk, and it actually like really makes their lives worth living and like turning away from that opportunity would be, I don't know, just too unbearable for them. and And that's, And even like the history of humanity thenceforth, people would look back and like at the cowardice, and it would like change our care. I don't know. It could be the right decision depending on what you valued, you know, and what the the risk and reward was, you know, to you. And so I'm not here to like dictate what should be an acceptable risk. I think most people share basically my idea about like what's acceptable risk.
0: So one tactic used by Pause AI is to protest. What, what's the theory behind that? Why why protesting? What's the theory of change behind the protesting?
1: Um, so the theory of change behind the protesting is is sort of a rebalancing the center radical flank thinking. So in AI safety, it's just very it's it's very weird. It's very unusual that this happens for a social movement, but because of this because of how hard it was to talk about the issue it wasn't in the Overton window so to speak before pretty much all of the interventions are centered on this what you call inside game so they're working within the system they're they're working at companies or they're doing their own research trying to just provide a technical solution that is adopted that's more favorable for you know for alignment this whole outside game space was pre- largely untapped some people were very burned from trying to go into the space and you know being dismissed as crazy. And when the FLI letter was released, when the polls came out, I thought, oh my gosh, like we can go into this space. Like, this is amazing. This is such a huge opportunity. And for my first act, I picked something kind of far, not the furthest, you know, (laughs) a moderate position that I could like firmly hold without doing any kind of stunts or not, not being untrustworthy in any way, but just like being like an honorable protester holding I think the statement, it's like a moderate position itself, you know, just pause till it's safe, but it's like, it's firm, it's uncompromising. It's not like, okay, if you do this little thing, like, I'll be happy with you, you know? (laughs) So the org, you know, there's many ways to do advocacy on that kind of message, but the thing that has just had the the most success for us so far is protesting. We've just gotten a lot of attention from I think because, because, you know, tech journalists have been writing about this issue and thinking about this issue for a long time, but there was never like a human face to it. We've gotten just very disproportionate attention for our small size of protests. And right now, our main theory of impact is through media. So just spreading the idea, the meme of pause AI, like this is an option. I would like to empower people who don't know much about the field and and a lot of people in the field feel very powerless. And pause AI like very quickly orients them to, I think it's a great advocacy message that gets the message across very quickly it orients them to sort of our position which is just just pause like you don't have to have the mechanistic solution you don't have to like none of this we just we just stop like they don't build it until we are ready <laughs> you know um, until and that'll be pegged to something like safety research or the lack of safety research that makes it clear that we're not ready so yeah the protests get a lot of media coverage that's like the biggest artifact in the end and then we we take pictures and the pictures are reused and they get a lot of play online some of it is negative people like make fun of them but it still like gets our message out and i really think there's like probably no such thing as as bad press for us given like how clean art we're keeping it like we're not going to we're not doing anything that would allow us you know i think expose us to like negative truly negative press it mostly just spreads the idea so like the stuff that people say online is you know like we're lame essentially or like <laughs> one of my favorite comments was um beth Jezos, the yeah, guy shared a picture of the uh, my first protest. One of the comments underneath said, raised in the dark on soy. <laughs> <laughs> but so like stuff like that is just even kind of funny. Yeah, so I, I think we discussed possibly you, you would ask if it was the protest itself that's more valuable and or the pictures. Definitely the value that I'm aware of is from the pictures and from the media coverage. But I do, you don't know with this kind of intervention, like what is really having the effect, like if it had an effect on a Meta employee that, you know, walked out while we were doing the protests, like, and maybe, I don't know, they like left Meta like in a year, like that might be quite impactful. So it's hard to be sure. But we did, as far as like immediately observable things, like we get a lot of media coverage and we get our pictures circulated. And there's a general idea of like, hey, these people don't like what this company is doing.
0: With protesting, I, I, I worry about it backfiring, and I'm kind of glad you mentioned keeping it kind of clean and being an honest protester. Because I, I think if you if you were to if Paul's AI were to do stunts in, in the same you know blocking highways or throwing paint on, on art pieces and all of this, I think that generates a lot of negative criticism, and and it might be counterproductive if you were to protest in in a more kind of stunt like way.
1: I'm sure it could be counterproductive, but I do feel just based on my, my theory of change, my understanding of advocacy, that those stunts are, I mean, people think they're not effective because they feel angry at the protesters. But what matters is how they feel about the cause. So like I've, my whole life from an early age, I was an ethical vegetarian and from, and my whole life people would really be like on me about vegetarianism and like and when I was a kid, you know, I'd hear a lot of extremely like bad reasons, you know, from adults and and a frequent thing that people would say is like, well, as long as you're not like PETA, and so like PETA just got to set like what was acceptable. So like before that, what was acceptable for me to do, how ex- different it was acceptable for me to be, how much of a hassle it was acceptable for me to be, you know, how potentially judgmental, just the fact that I, you know, had this belief, you know, could feel. That was all set by PETA. So as long as I wasn't pulling stunts, like that was fine. Whereas like this whole range, if you had before PETA, if you had asked them like what was okay, like they could have fallen anywhere here, but now they're anchored on this. Same with like particular policies that they, you know, so like you can't go to zoos, you know, people are like, well, you know, I... Uh, I love animals so much and that's why I go to the zoo. And now their position is I love animals so much. That's why I go to the zoo instead of like, it's okay to torture animals, which maybe they would have said before, you know, I'm not saying zoos are torturing animals, but, um, (laughs) but so I've, I've seen people claim that like, I am like extra against vegetarianism because of PETA or like I'm allowed to be against vegetarianism because of PETA for a long time. But what, but what they're, actual like takes are on animals seems to me to be improved by PETA. So I'm not going to do it. I mean, I just don't think I have the temperament. I don't think I can do stuff. Also, it takes a certain mastery that I just don't possess to to know how to use outrage to your benefit. I'm thinking there's a lot of alpha where, you know, advocacy is brand new in this space to just straight up saying your, your case, doing something that is very clear People think they would be doing something like this if they believed what we believe. They think they would be writing op-eds. They think they would be telling people they love. They think they would be doing protests. And so we're just giving them the information instead of like in a blog post that's confusing to them and like written in jargon, they don't know, you know, we're just providing that missing mood of yes, like we are protesting at OpenAI because this is really serious and like we want them to stop and we want everyone to know. I think there's a lot of alpha in just doing that straight up, <laughs> like, perfect, totally legally. It all There are a lot of people who already, as the poll show, agree with our position, basically, or are very open to our position. And they just kind of need to be made aware that this is a, not only do other people like hold this position, but also there's a direction, there's something to do with it, which is pausing.
0: Yeah. Holly, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been super interesting.
1: Thanks, Gus.